With this prayer for discernment in our hearts and minds, we'll turn to Leviticus 5, verse 14. Page 84, laws for guilt offerings. Remember, we've looked at burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings, and now we'll see the Lord teaches about guilt offerings. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in any in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. And then we look at chapter 7. This is uh, verse 1. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. And all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. As part of the reading of the text. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just reading all these passages about making restoration and how you treat your neighbor. 
makes us think about our own lives and when we've needed to make restoration, when we've come into debt, when we owe a debt to our neighbor. Maybe you took something that wasn't yours. Or maybe you broke something that you were borrowing. Or maybe you were careless at the cash register and it didn't have all the money that was in it, that was supposed to be in it at the end of the day. And still thinking about debts, debts, what if you lift up your eyes and you think about the commandments of the Lord as we read in Leviticus 5. His instruction about the guilt offering, the Lord reveals that he considers a breach of faith in the holy things to be a debt that needs to be satisfied with further compensation. And we see, as we think about this, we realize that very little divides two people like an unpaid debt. And it's made worse when the person who owes doesn't really care that he owes something. The guilt offering, then in the Old Testament, was given by the Lord so that his people would take responsibility for their debts, that they would show remorse for the loss that was caused, that they might be restored in their relationships. These three things we need to think of with the guilt offering. Responsibility, remorse, and restored relationships. Stand underneath everything we read about the guilt offering and about restitution. And as we think about the guilt offering, we also see how it exposes how big of a debt we have to God and to others. Every time that we hid our sins against our neighbor, it was a breach of faith. Every time we failed to honor the vows that we made to one another before the Lord, this holy thing, or every time we did nothing to correct a wrong while we stayed silent, hoping that time would heal that pain that we caused another person, the Lord says in this passage those things continue to make us guilty. We might not want to think about them. But the commandment says that we remain guilty for those things. Or even if we're, even if we're like Samuel, Samuel, who could conclude at the end of his life that he didn't owe his neighbor anything. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 12, verses 1 to 5. And he stated that. He says, I don't owe anybody anything. Even if we're like that, our debt before the Lord or our breach of faith in holy things. That makes us realize that, that we can never repay all our debts. It, it makes us run to the way the Lord has opened up the guilt offering so that we can receive forgiveness. We see then how, how much we need this guilt offering and, and how joyful we can be that Jesus Christ fulfills the guilt offering. That we may read that he satisfies our debt, that he makes restitution for us. And Christ's work is the theme of the message this morning, and I declare to you that Christ fulfills the guilt offering 
by satisfying our debt and making restitution. And then we'll see those three things of the guilt offering in his life again. He takes responsibility for the debt. He expresses remorse for the loss, the sins caused, and he restores your relationships. You can see it very clearly when a person brought a guilt offering to the Lord. He was taking personal responsibility for sinning in his relationship to God with respect to the holy things. You see that in verse 15. And for his treatment of his neighbor's possessions. That's in chapter 6. So what are these sins against the holy things? Well, when we read Leviticus 5, verse 14 to 19, it, it's not very clearly defined. Numbers 5 speaks in a very similar way, quite vaguely. But then when we look at some of the examples where guilt offerings are presented, we see that sin in the holy things includes a failure to worship God in his temple. So missing going to the temple to worship him for a while. That could even happen when it was a, an illness like leprosy, when they were removed from the temple, that was a, a sin against the holy thing. Even though they, they were not able to because of their illness, it was still a debt, something lacking. Another example was when someone broke their vow, their Nazarite vow, by inadvertently coming into contact with a person who, who dies suddenly beside them. It's in number six. Another example is desecrating the priesthood with unholy marriages. Another example is eating of a holy thing unintentionally, but that thing, that meat was not for you, but only for the priests in Leviticus 22. And then we see that in a covenant relationship, God's people have an obligation to receive the promises of God with, with a willing heart. We incur guilt when we, when we are careless in our worship or when we are lazy or when we are forgetful. And God calls us then to take responsibility for our sins, to call it what it is, to recognize that there is a debt and to do something to restore what was lost. Chapter 6 talks about sinning against the Lord, a breach of faith against the Lord for the things that we do against our neighbor. We read it there, verses 1 to 3, deceiving your neighbor in a matter of a deposit or security or through robbery or, if they, or, or oppressing your neighbor by extortion or maybe you found something lost and you lied about it, swearing falsely. The list of different cases in, in Exodus 21 that we read, Exodus 21 and 22, and those modern equivalents that we were thinking about in the introduction, they emphasize that when someone trusts us as a neighbor, but then our greed or our carelessness, our lack of caring for them, when that deprives them of something that they owned, then we remain responsible 
to restore what was lost. Whether a person was just watching over the possessions of another person, sure, I'll, I'll keep an eye on your car while you're on holidays. Or they borrowed something, or they found something that another person lost, that person would become responsible for it. And the Lord says, guilty if the neighbor did not receive the item entrusted into their care back, safe and sound. You see the principle, God wants you to be your brother's keeper. God wants you to be fair in all things material. God wants you to think about how others feel, how, how they need these things that they have. The Lord teaches and God's people recognize their sins of selfishness or greed or envy, all these things that make us want to take something that someone else has, or negligence. And the Lord says, when you recognize that, take responsibility. See what you're doing. Show repentance by doing something to restore what you've taken, what's been lost. Chapter 5, verse 14 and 17 says, even if it was an unintentional mistake, the, the guilt is still there. Maybe you broke a commandment without knowing it. Once again, a person's ignorance is not considered innocence. Verse 17, the guilty person must bear his iniquity. Verse 19, he has incurred guilt and a breach of faith with the Lord. And so the sinner had to always offer a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent to make atonement. And there it was, the slaughter of the ram, that the, sprink, the sprinkled blood, the fat that was offered on the altar before the priests ate the meat, all that we read about in, in chapter 7. It was there in front of you. It, was, it all stood as reminders that the individual who deprived his God or his neighbor of what belonged to them deserved to die for such an offense. It was a serious thing to, to work against that bond of love that must exist between those and the people of God. And here's the difference between the sin offering and the guilt offering. The sin offering could be offered by a representative for a whole congregation, but a guilt offering had to be offered by the same person who had sinned. The Lord is sending a clear message. You have a personal responsibility for what you did. And then they had to offer the costly sacrifice of a ram. Whether you were rich or poor, the point was you are responsible for the sins. Today we use the language, you need to own your sins. You need to own your sins. That's what the Lord is saying through the guilt offering. And he made them bear the consequences of these actions. It makes it very clear, right? Adam was, Adam was wrong when he blamed his wife for the sin, the guilt he, he incurred. He didn't take responsibility, he blamed. The guilt offering emphasized that personal responsibility for sins. 
And then our Lord Jesus came. He came to restore us to peace with God. To bring us together. And, and as our substitute, then he had to stand up and take responsibility for sin, for, for the debt. Even though he was innocent, he stood forward and, and he took responsibility for our debt. That's the gospel message that we proclaim. Our Lord Jesus showed his willingness to take seriously the responsibility for our sins. He took on our human flesh in the incarnation. And then when he was on the earth, he was determined, you read about it, resolutely to go to Jerusalem to die on a cross. He took ownership of that debt that was on his shoulders, our sins. And so then he had to experience the consequences of our guilt. He had to experience the anger of God that our debt deserved. And that's what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 53. He's talking about our Lord Jesus when he said that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And then it says, for it was the will of God to crush him, and the Lord made his life a guilt offering. Isaiah 53, verse 10, we'll also sing that in hymn 25. And so if we believe in this guilt offering, in Jesus Christ, the substitute, if we are members of, of his body, do you see what that means? It means that, that your debts are satisfied. That the guilt offering has been, been made. That God counts his payment as, as your payment. And all that sorrow we felt when we recognized who we are and what we owe, we, we can now see that it can be replaced with joy that Christ has paid. And not only did he pay but we owe to satisfy the debt. But he also made full restitution by expressing remorse for all the loss that the sin had caused. How many of us have heard the words, sorry isn't good enough? Maybe we've even said those words. And when we look at the Old Testament, we can see that in many cases, the scripture would agree with such a statement. Just saying sorry isn't good enough. If you sinned against the holy things, or if you deprived someone else of their property, it wasn't good enough to just go up to God or to your neighbor and say, sorry. As we can read in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 11, that verse 11, I think, was displayed on the wall as you were walking in. There's a difference between godly grief and worldly grief. For godly grief is accompanied by repentance, earnestness, indignation towards sin, fear before the holy God, zeal, and eagerness to clear yourself before God and your neighbor. The guilt offering helps us to, to clear ourselves before God to show the sincerity of remorse. 
The guilt offering helps us to understand the fullness of godly grief and repentance. Because sometimes we may feel sorry for our breach of faith against God or our neighbor, but be unclear how to show remorse. Or on the other side, what to accept as a sufficient show of remorse. So in his instruction about the guilt offering, the Holy Spirit shows that a person could show remorse for the loss that their sins have caused by returning whatever was lost. A person at the altar offering a ram was returning honor to God and reinitiating what he had failed to do before when he sinned against the holy things. He had withheld honor, now he comes to the Lord with honor. He, he's returning honor. And in the case of other people's property that's dealt with in chapter 6, we read that the perpetrator was responsible to return what was lost, or its equivalent sum, whether it was lost because of negligence, because of theft through oppression or extortion, or because a person found something and then lied about finding it. However, as we keep reading, we see that returning what was lost was only the first step. In, in addition to returning what was lost, further compensation would be given as part of the process to receive forgiveness from God. Leviticus 5, verse 14 to 16 reveals that if people sinned against the holy things, they would need to calculate the cost of the ram being sacrificed, so very precise, very specific. They had to figure out how much that ram could sell for. They had to, to use the most up-to-date economical markets as determined by the value of the temple shekel. And then they had to take a fifth of that, 20% of that, and they had to give that money to the priest in addition to the ram. Leviticus 6 verse 5 adds that if people deprive their neighbor of something, they were to restore it in full and then add a fifth, 20% of the value to it. So that meant if a person was guilty for the loss of a thousand dollars that belonged to his neighbor. Maybe it was lost in the day or maybe he dropped it out of his pocket or maybe he was watching over something or borrowing a, a quad or a snowmobile or something and, and broke the thing. Although there probably weren't snowmobiles in Israel. An item worth about a thousand dollars and then lost it. It was a breach of faith to his, his neighbor. Well, he would first go and, and he, would, he would need to give the neighbor $1,000 replacement and then 200 more, $1,200. And then he would need to go to the altar and sacrifice an entire ram that would be given to the priest to eat in a holy place. Well, Exodus 22, the passage we read, gives further explanation that seems to suggest that that 20% compensation was a relatively small amount. And that was only applied to those who voluntarily confessed their sins. You see this when you compare the numbers and then you read in Exodus 22 that if a thief is found out and caught and he still has the stolen goods, he is to return them and pay back double. He didn't confess, he was caught, he returns double. You steal a thousand dollars, you pay back 
$2,000 if you're caught with it on you. But if he does not have the stolen goods anymore, we read he has to pay back five oxen for each stolen ox that was sold or killed, and four sheep for each stolen sheep that was sold or killed. It would seem that Zacchaeus used the Exodus 22 rules for restitution to show that he, he wanted to be free of that guilt when he gave half of his goods to the poor and restored fourfold of anything that he had defrauded a person of before. So why did God add these extra value to the goods? God showed that he wanted the sinner to express remorse for the loss that he or she had caused. He wanted them to have an opportunity to demonstrate that they were truly sorry for the breach of faith in the relationship. And they weren't just saying it without caring so they could move on. And this made it easier to believe in the integrity and, the, and the, their sincerity, sincerity when they were asking for forgiveness for sins that caused a, a permanent loss that couldn't be restored with any amount of money, like murder or abuse or sexual immorality. The heavier penalties imposed on thieves who did not confess their sins voluntarily. It served as an encouragement to be open and to be transparent and to, to confess sins and seek restoration as quickly as possible. And all this is a firm and a clear reminder that there is a way to forgiveness. And then we see it, brothers and sisters, with that way to forgiveness open before the Lord in His commandment is saying, people, let us take hold of what Christ has done. Let's not hold these grudges and, and try to hide stuff and be selfish and, and see what we can get for ourselves and, and give these fake stories just so that we can get richer. There's forgiveness. It's there. And God truly desired that his children would love him and love his people so sincerely that they would hate sin and its effects so completely that they would joyfully take hold of the opportunity to express their remorse for hurting their neighbor by giving even more than they had taken. We see this very clearly when we see how our Lord Jesus fulfilled the guilt offering. He focused his attention on what the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied. Almost every prophet promised it. I will restore the fortunes of my people. Knowing that such a restoration of peace was preceded by humility and repentance before God and our neighbor, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, says Matthew, by even repenting for us. He entered in the river of Jordan. He received the baptism of repentance from John the Baptist. That's a substitute. Jesus perfect Son of God who was innocent. He showed that remorse for the loss. He repented for the guilt that we incurred. He was the, the perfectly broken spirit and contrite heart that we so often fail to show. 
He didn't once try to defend himself against his, the charges, false charges that were laid against him. You see, he hated sin so much. And he fought against it. And he hated the breach that it caused. So he stood in. He bore the guilt. He also showed his hatred for sin. He entered the river, was baptized for the baptism of repentance so that it all could be on his shoulders. That's how he restores relationships. The guilt offering was ordained by God to bring restoration, restoration to relationships that were broken because of selfishness, because of envy, because of pride. The rules protected the holy things. And they protected the holy things because the holy things were that way that God had provided for the church to draw near to him and find forgiveness. When the holy things were profaned by the sins of God's people, their very salvation was in danger until our Lord Jesus came. You see, he's the, the new and the living way to the Father in heaven. He is the fulfillment of the holy things. And he brings us to a relationship of peace with God. And sinning against the holy things today is sinning against Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. And it's a much more serious offense than it was in the days that Leviticus de describes. And today we don't need to offer a ram as a sacrifice, for Christ has offered his life. But we do need to turn to Jesus Christ, to put our faith and trust in him completely, to see that he, he cleans us, he, he takes away all our guilt. He satisfies our debt. He lifts it right off our shoulders, right out of our heads. That's why we're warned not to be like Zacchaeus was before he repented. Not to choose riches and personal comforts over Christ. There was no salvation for Zacchaeus until he he repented of this. He came to Christ and he, he restored what he had taken. But then the Lord said, salvation has come to your house. You see, when you turn to him in faith, when you entrust yourself into the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, he fills you with the Holy Spirit so that you too may share in his holiness. You are also now a part of the holy things. And you draw near to him with everything that you do. Everything that you say. There's nothing that stands in the way to hinder our prayers to God's blessing in our lives. The guilt offering also served to restore relationships to other people in the church. And the general rule that we need to see, and, and children, you really need to see this as well, be fair. A lot of times at school we're buying and selling things. 
We like to maybe follow the example of our capitalist parents and try gain all the time. Sometimes we do that at the cost of another person. It's not the spirit that we see among the people of God as it's revealed in the Old Testament. There's a this reminder to, to be fair, when just, when we deal with others. And then when it happens, and it's very bad when it happens, when there's a breach of faith and our neighbor is deprived of their possessions, the breach in a relationship, that's the worst part. That broken faith with the community of God's covenant people. It's this broken relationship that the guilt offering was focusing on. As God taught us what we needed, what needed to be done. And it can only be healed when we believe in Jesus Christ. When we hide in his offering. When our Lord Jesus came, his love for his neighbor, his constant desire to enrich the people of God, he revealed the glorious benefits for the kingdom of everyone who replaced a selfish, minimalist tolerance of our neighbor. As if that was good enough. Just keep them happy attitude. With a new way of looking at your neighbor. Look at how our Lord Jesus showed the fulfillment of the guilt offering. How he showed how to restore relationships. He did it by, by serving he did it by being generous. He showed the love prescribed in the guilt offering. And then we see it, brothers and sisters, just returning something you have taken that will never do in the kingdom of, of God because it only keeps relationships at where they were in the beginning. But God wants you to go beyond this by adding the fifth, which shows that we should truly love God and our neighbor brings us even closer to one another. But how can we do this? Well, the gospel is in Christ. We already have everything. We have nothing to lose. So that we don't always have to try, see how little we can get away with when we are called to show love to our neighbor. Psalm 69 verse 4 asks the question, if it's necessary to restore what was not stolen, and then we look at our Lord Jesus' life and it's like his life declares, yes, restore even what was not stolen. Rather than being a drain on the lives of others or just being this neutral person with no impact at all, the command is that we are to be a blessing in the lives of others, that it was a good thing to, to come into contact with you. When Jesus Christ fulfilled the guilt offering, not only did he bring us out of this selfishness, but he brought us beyond this mere fairness and tolerance, and he showed us what loving and serving our neighbor with the fifth looks like. Next time you show an extra sign of mercy or generosity, you can say, I'm pleading the fifth, that fifth of generosity, the fifth of sincerity, the fifth of love for your life. By dying on a cross for our sins, Jesus has removed all the barriers that sin has caused so that we can 
eagerly forgive one another and cancel the debts that stood and stand between us. He also fills us with his spirit, the, the spirit of generosity, the spirit of the fifth. So not only are we eager to quickly restore what we've taken as soon as we recognize what we've done, but we're also eager to add to that in a genuine show of remorse and desire to restore relationships. That's what it's like to live in the fulfillment of the guilt offering. We flee to Christ. We repent of our selfishness. And then we'll find not only is there forgiveness, but there's so much more. We can show sincerity. We can show generosity. We have peace with God in Christ so that we may live in peace with one another. Amen.